Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, Mr. Ethan Paper Pioneer Player Sax. Got some reps in at the old SCG Gone Pittsburgh this weekend. How was it? <sighs> it was was good. Daunting? Are you intimidated by the old Paper Pioneer? I'm very intimidated by <laughs> Paper Constructed. It it feels like, and I will say as a whole, like so I. I played a lot of Paper Magic this weekend. I went to a pre-release Friday night. I went down to SCG Con on Saturday and played in um, in a little Pioneer event, played three rounds of Paper there, and then played in the SCG Con 2K this morning. There was five rounds of Sealed. And I think before I would have told you like that I thought, I don't know, I've never been intimidated by Paper Magic. I feel like it caught up to me this weekend. Yeah? You finally were just like dropping cards on the floor while you were shuffling and all that? No, it's not even that. Just like, it's so much like, Manipulation. there's so much yeah. gear. There's so much gear. It's like your dice and your box and your sleeves and your tokens. And oh, and in Pioneer, I have to write, I thought seize you and then I'm writing down what's in your hand and tracking that and like and not missing triggers it's just there's a lot of stuff happening that i think in the past i would have told you no nah, it's not that much different like paper magic is whatever for me but this weekend i definitely felt like a sort of a shift and and paper constructed yeah i need to get a ton of reps in before <laughs> the february <laughs> just into like I still, I feel like the Racto Sacrifice, I feel good about the deck. It's just like so much. I just need, so it's magic online. I thought, I thought it was like Excel, but no, it helps. It yeah. helps with all the gear, you know. Um, you played some Paper Magic this weekend. I did play some Paper Magic this weekend. I pre-released at my local game store. Shout out to Game Nights. It was a lot of stuff. I agree. I've got, I forgot my dice. <laughs> had to borrow dice from someone else. Like life totals. There's just counters everywhere. There's a lot of shuffling. It takes time to discover. There's just a lot, lot going on. Your discover land is in front of you. Maybe you covered up some forests and forget to crack it when it could have won you the game. Who knows? <laughs> we could be talking about personal experiences or just, you know, generalities. We, we would never we would never be able to know. Yeah. So we've got a lot to chat about. We, of course, did the, the early access event streamer event. Thank you to Wizards of the Coast for letting us participate in that on Thursday. So we got some drafts, digital drafts under our belt, played a ton of paper magic this weekend. So before the set drops on Tuesday on Arena and Magic Online, we've solved the format already, right, Ben? Listen, I feel great about my takes. I, I am I got the takes locked and loaded from the hip, firing with both guns, <laughs> ready to go. Love yeah, it. So we're going to get into some takes, big picture, get to specific cards. Ben, of course, has many rankings for us to uh, to just throw out there and not be disputed at all. Charlie and I need to host a podcast together and just get those get the, just all rankings. Yeah, <laughs> all rankings podcast. The power ranking power hour. Um, and uh, yeah, we got some some sweet stuff. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this format. Uh, let's do some housekeeping things and then we'll get into the episode. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Look, the Discord is great. That's what you get. Everybody who gives back via the Patreon gets access to the Discord. It's just a fantastic community. And like a fantastic community of people that then you meet at these events. Like going to SCGCon this weekend, just having people come up to me and be like, hey, I'm blah, blah, blah from the Discord. Or I'm blah, blah, blah from Twitch chat or Twitter or whatever. Like so cool to get to to meet up with people like that and interact with them in the discord and you sort of feel like you get to know people in that way like i went on friday to my lgs with like a bunch of internet friends 
And that's really cool. Like the, the gathering, look, I'm going to get sappy a little bit. I do think it's a little bit after this weekend about the gathering. Um, and the Discord can provide that for you for sure. And of course, it can provide breaking open a format wide open when it starts the first week. I'm so excited to get to dive into that with these folks who know what's up. So we're going to be welcoming some new folks this week to our Discord and our Patreon. And those folks are Breakfish, Frank, Kenefis, Red, Thomas, Samuel, Rico, Happy John, David, Michael, Stephen Vosser, Simon, Jacob, Petter, Mike, Kieran, Matthew, and Jordan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Those folks know what's up, and you should be getting in on the Discord action as well. show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc., coolstuffinc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. And right now, that's Lost Caverns of Ixalan draft booster boxes. You better get them flying off the shelf. Or maybe like Ethan, you've got some constructed magic going on in your life. Need to pick up some hot commander singles, you know, to get that deck fully juiced out the way you want. Or maybe you want some non-magic stuff. Maybe you want to pick up a board game to play with some friends. But whatever it is, Cool Stuff Inc. has got you covered. And you should be sure to use checkout code LOL, all caps, when you go there so that they know that we sent you over. And more importantly for you, you get 5% off your order. Boom, baby. All right, so I want to do a little little story time about my weekend. So, you know, I don't need to get too much in the weeds about playing Constructed. I do want to shout out Josh, aka J-Court, another uh, Discord friend, who assembled basically 98% of the sacrifice deck for me. Like, was like, oh, let me know, like, what you want to be playing. And um, he's a, you know, Pittsburgh local as well, or and lives, you know, in the burbs of, of Pittsburgh and, I sent him a list and he assembled almost everything. I had to pick up a couple meat hook massacres that I'm currently running in the sideboard for a pretty penny, 30 bucks each. What the heck is that about? I was like, thank God I didn't have to assemble this deck from scratch. So it's just incredible. So shout out to Josh. Thank you so much for, for doing that. But talking about playing this format in paper, it is complicated for a pre-release. Like, I mean, I, we talked about this just before we started recording, but like my third round opponent at the pre-release on Friday, you know, he and I were both 2-0, we were in the whatever the quote unquote finals, and we played at a pretty good clip. You know, he was reading double face cards that I had, whatever, like, you know, unsleeving them, resleeving them, but we were playing pretty fast. We went to turns in game two. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, we were just like, I mean, we both had really grindy decks, I guess, but like, it's just hard. It's just wild. Like you really have. And then if you want, if you're at all like hyper conscious about that, which I definitely feel like I am like today, you know, there were like 15 minutes left on the clock. We were about to maybe we were like towards the end of game two, I was looking like we were going to go to game three. And I like, how do you just say like, okay, we've got 15 minutes left. Like we really should be playing a little faster. And, but then you turn on the afterburners and then you miss triggers and you miss stuff. And is it your responsibility to be the one playing faster? I don't know. It's 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 stressing me out just thinking about Ben. Yeah, and that's just pre-release stakes. Imagine that's just when you're pre-release. on the PT, baby, and your opponent's <laughs> trying to slow roll you on purpose to get that draw <laughs> locked up. <laughs> yeah, that I oh, I'm gonna be so I'm gonna be so green in that respect. Did you have any uh any any slow play issues on Friday? No, not slow play issues. Well, I mean, sort of, but like I played fast enough that my opponents slow play issues were not an issue but I, I went to time in one round two with I would say my opponent and I playing very fast like we both just had late game decks and went to turns in game three like we'd both run out of gas neither one of us could kind of do anything to kill the other we were in top deck mode and so I ended up conceding just so one of us we both didn't end up with a draw or whatever but yeah I, there was just a lot of game actions to take a lot of shuffling a lot of 
lot of stuff going on in the format for sure. Yeah. I found myself just making sloppy, just a, a couple. Like it, it only takes a couple for you to sort of like refocus. But, you know, today in the 2K in round one, game two, just like small stuff. Like you say, okay, too quickly, you know, your opponent like attacks or whatever. And I, I just found myself like doing knee jerk stuff. And then I'd look at my hand and be like, oh, wait, why did I, I should have? And I made like two of those mistakes in like developing turns of game two. That, you know, who, know, who knows what would have happened, but they're just, I'm just like, I should not have done that. And those kinds of things, I really feel like, again, that's sort of the, I don't know, the, the tension of you got to play fast. You have to be making those sort of knee jerk responses. But at the same time, like, I really want to be, I have to remind myself to like, take a breath. Think about what you have to do, whatever, like make sure you're taking in the new information. You don't actually have to play at this breakneck pace from the get, you know, but uh, it's hard. So yeah, I went, uh, ended up going three, two in the, uh, in the sealed two K and the five Swiss rounds did not make top eight. Unfortunately, my, my last round opponent. So he and I both had uh, round one losses. He had a nutso red green, like playing five of his rares, like oops, all discover. There's a rare that it's like an artifact. If you descend, it gets a counter. And then once it gets three counters, it flips. Oh yeah. The red one, that card's disgusting. The land that, when you cast spells with it, you they discover. discover. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was ridiculous. blown away by that card. He also had like, there's like a giant, like a seven mana red dino that discovers five. Like he just was popping off whenever. So he and I both lost our first round, but we were pretty sure. Okay. If one of, one of us wins and is four one, we'll make top eight, which was the cut to money, a cut to the draft, whatever. And I checked the standings when I got home. And he was ninth, just bubbled, which is brutal. Just like I was like, I don't know if I'm happier that I lost because then I would have won and been excited that I was going to make top top eight eight and then would have gotten some breakers sit around for 40 minutes. Maybe if you'd won, you'd have gotten into top eight because you might have had slightly better breakers. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's true. I I guess it depends like who his his first round opponent was. opponents were. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so paper magic, man. It's for the birds. Let's let's keep it online. Let's just bring. Can we just roll up to the PT with our laptops? You know, happy my gear. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick ad break, and we'll be back to discuss our thoughts on the format. It's coming up on the holiday season, Ben. Soon it'll be time to get nice and stressed about gifts for parents, siblings, significant others, nieces, nephews, friends, etc. I can already feel my inner Grinch creeping in. Well, lucky for us, this holiday season we've got a secret weapon. It's called Uncommon Goods. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. I do a Secret Santa gift exchange with friends at New Year's, and I really don't like to get something for someone off of like their own wish list. I'm very morally opposed to adults having wish lists, which often leaves me... <laughs> feeling directionless in terms of what to get people uncommon goods will help guide you to the perfect gift by giving helpful subcategories as you're searching to get you closer and closer to something that's just right i just found a really cool escape room cage to put a nice bottle of wine in for my buddy and so it has like all these puzzles you have to solve to be able to unlock the codes to get the cage open and he loves games and i think this is going to be a really memorable and fun activity for us to get to do together turns out shopping for gifts doesn't have to be stressful to get 15 percent off your next gift go to uncommongoods.com slash lol that's uncommongoods.com slash lol for 15 percent off don't miss out on this limited time offer uncommon goods we're all out of the ordinary ben i love the first thing that you have written here 
about yeah. your picture updates to the format. Yeah. Welcome to Rectangle Theory of the Format. That's my biggest takeaway right now is that like, you know, we've talked about Rectangle Theory a lot recently, I would say, in the last mm-hmm. you know, couple sets. But this one really especially feels that way to me right now. I think white particularly excels at dumping a lot of pieces of cardboard on the battlefield. Blue can also. And I think the biggest advice, the the most clean advice I could give for somebody that wants to win going into the format, going into your first drafts on Tuesday, is to just pick cards that help you flood the board with rectangular cardboard early and often. Like you just want stuff on the battlefield and a lot of it. As, as a side note here about rectangle theory and rectangles, we made a video about this. We've discussed it on the show. It's really just about, like, for people who don't know, we're like, what the heck do you guys mean when you say rectangles? We're just talking about the pieces of cardboard that are made, right? You you play the the Waterwind Scout or whatever it is, the three mana 2-2, two, two, Flyer in Blue, makes a map token, boom, two rectangles, your 2-2 two, two and your map token. And I also want to unburden the rest of the magic community and say, Rectangle is your word to use. As the founder of Rectangle Theory, feel no need. I I listen to podcasts. I listen. I watch streams. I see people dancing around saying pieces of cardboard, pieces of game, or like different game pieces. Just say rectangles. You don't have. To, don't worry about me. It's, it's it's your word. It's your word to use out in the vernacular. But I totally agree with you. I mean, like, and, and you can think about rectangles not only in the sense of map tokens, but also discover, right? That's multiple rectangles right there, right? Well, but also too, just like something, there's a lot of artifact come down, doesn't affect, and then leaves an artifact behind. Like, yeah. it's not a rectangle theory in the traditional sense of, like, bringing two pieces with you, necessarily. That's how I think of uh, old school rectangle theory. There's maybe <laughs> new, new school rectangle theory where That's you right. get an effect and a rectangle is left over after said effect. But those are also awesome. Just stuff on the battlefield to clog up the board, make your opponent's attacks difficult, maybe let you race in the air, but also just the theme in red-white or white specifically, a lot of cards that let you tap two untapped artifacts or creatures for an effect. That's mm. awesome and a, a wonderful way to make use of uh, the pieces of cardboard you have lying around. Yeah. That makes me want to talk about craft, which I think is great in terms of, it's it's a very powerful mechanic. I don't know how like interesting or difficult it is, right? It's it doesn't. You're just like you should just play the cards with craft most of the time, right? I think that is largely true. There are a very small few exceptions to that. Like I still don't love the white one drop that scries two and then flips into one four. I, I think that one does not quite get there. But in general, you know, we, there was a comment in the Discord about well, Ethan and Ben sound like they're evaluating craft as if it's free. And like, it really is by the time you get around to it. If you do any sort of cohesive deck building at all, it should be free or very low cost to craft mm-hmm. to you in the late game. I mean, like there there are some times where you have a little bit of a choke point, but I would say, especially like we talked about last week, like craft begets craft, like it's better the more you have because then maybe you got an effect from something and you've got no artifacts in your graveyard, but you have, you know, three or four craftable artifacts in play. And you're like, well, I'm never going to be flipping all of these this game. So let me prioritize it. And I can, you know, I already got the five damage from my saw blades and now I can sacrifice that to flip my, you know, four, four golem maker, whatever, that sort of thing. Well, and that goes back to rectangle theory because the, the craft cards often, again, give you an effect 
and then yes. leave, it, leave an artifact on the battlefield. And so many of those are so cheap also. Like the games, like in addition to just lots of rectangles, you want them as fast as possible. That's the thing I feel pretty strongly about. Like the games start early. There's a ton of good playable one drops, many of which have explore or may make map tokens along with them. And I think because craft is on so many cheap cards, your deck can have a great low curve and just never run out of things to do because the yeah. craft cards are all built in two for ones for the most part. That's what we thought, right? There's just the, the, the mana sinks there. And we, we talked about this a little bit when we did our, our showdown video for YouTube or our draft battle video for YouTube, I should say, during the early access event, which is that like just taking cheap stuff is so paramount in this format. Like I think just that's another piece of information like, yes, or what are the like tenets you want to know going into your first drafts on Tuesday? Well, certainly rectangles, like prioritize things that make multiple pieces of cardboard or have an effect and leave behind a piece of cardboard like the craft cards. But then also just like recognize that if you are taking those craft cards, you're going to have stuff to do with your mana late in the game. You're going to have those hidden lands to dump five mana into to discover four later in the game. Like you do not need to take expensive cards highly at all and should really be just like sacrificing, I'd say some amount of power to get your curve as low as possible. And not because I think it's so aggressive of a format, even though I do think aggro decks are quite good. It's just like, you don't need five drops when your two drop artifact flips for five mana, you know? The games just start early, like everything's getting shoved lower and lower. But you mentioned, mistakenly mentioned a showdown video. We do also have the showdown locked and loaded. Can you believe it? Wondering, we get a lot of questions early on in the formats. Ethan, I'm going to give you credit. You spearheaded this in the discord. You really put the old thumb screws down on (laughs) us and team LR. And we have a date. It is Tuesday, the 21st at the usual uh, six Pacific nine Eastern time slot. Yeah, excited for that. That'll be hopefully a happy Thanksgiving for us to tie it up eight, eight against team LR. A real Christmas miracle. A real real Christmas miracle to come back. But anyway, yeah, that'll be super fun to do. We'll make sure to shout that out and post it on socials, etc. So pretty high on craft. Super high on craft. Higher than I was last week, if that's possible. Because I watched craft last week and it played out exactly how I imagined and better. Yeah. What what about descend? Where are you at there? Much like the name, much, (laughs) much lower, have descended quite a bit on descend. So I think I did a pretty good job because we didn't really get any comments like this. But Ben and I basically recorded last week's episode under the assumption that descending, like obviously not descend four, descend eight, but that triggering descent happened with treasures, with sacrificing treasures or tokens going to the bin. And it should. The format would be so much better if it did. But so many of those cards would be like like we thought, like Scallywag would be like these weird, like ter- repeatable turn after turn loops. Great. That's what it needs to function as a usable mechanic. I'm so bummed that that's the case, man. So like, that's so that's not the case for Descent. And the reason I think that, that for Descent 4 and Descent 8, I mean, Descent 8 is, I think you really have to like, I don't know, that feels like a once in a dozen drafts type thing where you're like, I'm building the Descent deck. But the problem with building the Descend deck, that it's not incidental, is that it's at odds with craft. Yes, being at odds with craft is a terrible place to be here. But also just craft works. Like, it's good. Like, you don't have to do hardly any work. You just do some light deck building, and craft is excellent for you. Explore. Just works. Premium mechanic. Like, you cast your card, you get an awesome effect. Descend 4 and 8 is 
super finicky. Like you have to play mm-hmm. enablers to get the stuff in your yard to reliably be descending. And there's not great enablers. And then like you can kind of think about it as a late game mechanic. Like maybe you're going to take over in the late game, but then you're playing like one in a black two, two like that you're hoping is going to turn into a three, three lifelinker. And if it doesn't, it's a disaster, but like it's all, it just feels like the best comparison I can have for how to process descend is it feels like mutate from my Like there was cycling mm. that just, was far and away the best thing to do in Ikoria. And you could play Mutate, and you wanted to be like the exact one Mutate drafter at the table. I think Descend is going to kind of be like that. It's just not supported. It's not super worth going after. It just takes double the amount of work to accomplish with Descend, what you're getting for almost no work from Craft and Explore. And I think so many of the cards want you to do stuff early and, and get on board early. And I think that's the best way to play the format right now. And Descend does not necessarily. It wants you to try to set things up. And then you're also, you have the chance of drawing your cards in the wrong order where you get your Descend cards, but you don't get the enablers. I don't know. I, I'm pretty down on Descend, if that's not clear. <laughs> it's, it is. It, yeah, yeah. Can't, uh, can't put it too more bluntly than that. Uh, so... High on craft, low on descend, high on explore. Obviously, that's not a big surprise. But I forgot. It was kind of surprising. The first time I explored, I was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. I forgot how great this was. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's great. Hitting land drops is great. Getting that, like, little bit of synergy with, like, I think, so I'm down on the the descend for descend eight. I'm not that down on descending, like, if you descended this turn, I don't think. Sorry, your hand is distracting me. What's up? You hate. <laughs> just, you hate I, descend. I just hate descend. That's a mechanic wholeheartedly. Right. And I. I think descending also. I think descending is almost even more difficult and no. less worth going after than descend four or descend eight because. Like scrying to try to like maybe you're exploring to try to descend or you're I, I just all the juice is not worth the squeeze from what I've seen. That's not been my experience. Like creatures trade off in combat. You sack your hidden lands. You explore spells to the bin or like permanents to the bin. I don't think the act of descending is that hard. I'm pretty the reason I'm low on descend four and, and definitely descend eight is how at odds with craft it is. Like I don't want to feel a pinch when I explore my spells to the bin so that I can craft them later. I don't want that pinch, which is why I don't really care about the four or eight payoffs, but I'm happy to have the act of descending happen on my turn. Sure, you're happy to have it happen. I just think it is. it takes work that the other mechanics do not take, I think. Descending is harder to accomplish than crafting or exploring. Yeah, how can I argue that? Of course, it, of course it's harder. Yeah, but I do think descending is just more difficult... From what you said, then it then you're making it out to be. And I think the thing I like the least about trying to descend, sure, like if descending happens naturally, some of those cards are just going to trigger and you're going to get the bonus. But like building your deck to try to descend means it most of the time losing things from the battlefield. I think that is the easiest way to descend in the colors that care about descending. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the best cards in the format incentivize you to be on the battlefield as much as possible like it's that cognitive dissonance there i don't like about trying to descend yeah i'm i'm not trying to put myself in the position of defending descend here and i don't need to go down like a deep rabbit hole all i'm saying is that like i think that and maybe it's it's building a deck where you're happy to okay either we're trading and i'm happy with that i'm pushing damage i'm happy with that or because we're trading then i get a descent trigger at the end of the turn that's fine so maybe it's about you know building it in more assertive decks or whatever but i just don't think that like i i'm not talking about building a descend deck 
I'm just saying that I think of those three things, descending for your turn, descend four and descend eight, I think descending is the thing that like, I think can happen and is like fine and whatever you get those little bonuses versus like descend four and descend eight. I feel that that tension. Sure. That checks out. So speaking of permanence on the board, have you had a chance to mess around with the like tap two have mechanic in Boros? I, I played against several good decks and lost mm. to them in the early access. Tried to build my own that didn't quite pan out, but I didn't have the right cards for it. I didn't have Tinker's Tote. I didn't have the good mm. equipment that left other artifacts around. But I did in the pre-release play like a green white sealed deck and I had a couple Tinker's Totes. I had some of the craft cards and then had two of the the three to white three three that you can tap to untap things to put a plus one plus one counter on it. And that card was an mm. absolute house for me and sealed. I bet it's a little less good in draft, but was very impressed with that card. And just the mechanic in general, like works really well with itself in that like aggressive decks want to get on board early and often. And then have you have these treasure pieces laying around or you've got your Dusk Rose Reliquary that exiled a thing and is sitting around or your equipment and you can tap while it's equipped to a creature. So it, it feels largely free assuming again that you build your deck correctly yeah i think i'm pretty happy that the so it's no longer tribal is out typal is out kindred is in that's that's the new terminology i'm pretty happy that kindred decks are not really a thing in this format it reminded me of original ixlan and the sort of annoying thing of like pick three you were like i guess i'm vampires and so i just take all the cards that say vampires on them. And that is a really boring way to draft. And I'm happy to see that it's basically only dinosaurs this time around. And that even seems like fine, if not a little straightforward. Do you think there's like a lot of meat on that bone for a draft table or it's just one drafter? No, I think it's one drafter for dinosaurs. And I'm not particularly interested in being that drafter as we'll get into a little later. But I am pretty down on green. I don't think green is any good at all at common. I think it's got some good uncommons, but dinosaurs. Yeah, I I was a little scared looking at the dinosaurs cards. And I do think if you're the only dinosaurs drafter and red and green are open, your deck could probably be pretty good. But craft is where it's at for me. Yeah, you were really high on craft. You were also really high on another C mechanic in this format last week. And that's caves. What, what do you think about the caves mechanic as a deck? Where, where are you at with caves? I think it's a deck. I still think, I mean, caves are there. It's going to be part of the format. I don't think it's a premium deck. Uh, If we're looking ahead to the archetype power rankings, cave is in the bottom tier of archetypes. But I do think if you are the only caves drafter, you'll end up with a a good playable deck. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be tier one or not, but it's definitely a thing. Uh, I've got some quick payoff power rankings because, you know, I love the early, the early power rankings. I do think Calamitous Cave-In is the only reason to draft the Caves deck, so it's hard to know when to that's go caves into it. That's Caves Ablaze, right? That's the, the deal, damaged yeah, everything, equal to the Caves in your bin and the Caves in play. Yes, that one. I think that's the only real reason to draft the deck, but it's hard to know when to go in on it. Initially, I was thinking like Caves was going to be like shooting the moon. Like you just sat down and tried to draft Caves, and it was going to be worth trying to do that. I don't think that's the case anymore. It's like you're probably hoping to maybe take some late caves and then you get a calamitous cave in and then you start going in on it. But I am curious to see how to draft caves correctly, but I, I think it's going to be a much uh, less powerful player in the format than I thought initially. Maybe although maybe people on arena are going to ignore it. And if you get the calamitous cave ins, it's going to be great. Um, but so that's that's tier one gargantuan leech, the five five lifelink that gets cheaper for every cave. I think that's the next one. And then after that, like some non caves cards actually a caslam stone tree that's the the two and a green ramper that i was pretty high on 
that's good. I think important to the deck to have that on the battlefield for <laughs> getting a thumbs down here on YouTube. <laughs> like, can I raise to distract me? Go ahead, say your piece, sir. Castle Stone Tree is super awkward. So this is the one that uh, look at the top six, get a land into play, and then it um, crafts with a cave for five and a green to flip into a five five. Again, it's just like so awkward to craft with a cave. Because then your cave is gone. It's in exile. And then your Calamitous cave doesn't count it. Right. But I think the only functional play pattern for the deck to be a good deck is to you're trying to set up Wraths with Calamitous cave and then post Wrath flip the stone tree or have mm. the Cavernous Maws, which is the land that turns into a 3-3, which is next on the power rankings to then kill your opponents after the dust is settled from maybe two calamitous cavens or whatever. But mm-hmm. if that's the only way the deck plays out, people are going to wise up to that and not play into it so hard. So I, I don't know where caves is going to end up. And then the, the sinew with Benthosaur, the four, four uh, that can draw you some cards, fine, whatever. And bat colony has largely just fallen completely that flat. Is, is garbage. It is it's nowhere near lingering souls. And the thing that I missed about it is to actually get three bats from it. You have to have a white cave, which is not, an easy ask, right? Because it's two and a white. So there's lots of times you have five caves available to you, but one of them is not necessarily white. And then you're still only getting two bats, which is just not even close to worth it. Yeah. Well, and and sort of the the bridge here from caves to our next point, which is land cyclers is mana fixing. And we missed, or at least I missed it in, it wasn't in the, because I I think someone told me it was in the L slot, like the land slot. And when I was searching the official card image gallery to to put together all of our cards to grade for the crash course, I was filtering by commons and uncommons or whatever, you know, by rarity. And so I missed that like evolving wilds, the cave, the colorless cave taps for colorless, and then you can pay one tap sack it to go find a basic land. That really adds a, a punch of fixing that I didn't realize was in the format, you know? Yeah, there are several lands that fix quite well. What about the land cyclers? Pretty down on all of those, descending on all of those as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like the best effect one, I mean, the seven mana is so much. That's the thing about the blue and the green ones. Like I just played with them today and sealed and like I wanted to cast them, but like seven mana is a lot. Well, and then you're stuck on five mana and you're like, do I right, do I this to hit my sixth land drop? Like, what's, so like what awkward. do we do? Yeah. Um, and like cute that it does like, you know, trigger descend or whatever, but not that's not part of it. I like the red and the white ones the best, but those are probably in the colors that want that sort of top end card the least, you know? Yep, I agree. They're just not quite a home for them. All right, Ben, we've come to it. There's a segment in our show notes with a number of greater than signs <laughs> next to each other. <laughs> Get on your podium and talk to me about the color power rankings. Yeah, I, I actually feel I'm pretty confident about these color power rankings. Last last time around, we missed on red, had to walk it back. I don't think there will be a shame disclaimer next episode. I feel good about these power. We're rankings. not allowed to hate on green. That's our that's our mo. We hate green every format. <laughs> we always hate green. I I am pretty confident green is in significantly last place. So number one, blue. Feel okay. pretty strongly that blue is going to be the best color in the format. A surprise number two for me after playing with the cards, white, like huge mover up for me after playing with all the white cards. And we'll get into what each of the colors does best here. Have red in third place. I like the way red plays with white and blue quite a bit. I think like that Jeskai wedge there is going to be a really nice space to draft in and have a lot of artifacts, a lot of rectangles, a lot of board presence early floating around. And all, all of those colors want to do that. And I think those are the best things to do in the format. In fourth, which I feel kind of weird about, and I'm curious to get your take on this. I have black, but I think black has a lot of good cards that Mm -hmm. just don't 
play well with other cards. Like I could see black being a good support color. Like it's got premium removal. It just doesn't have like the rectangle stuff going on. It does have a lot of descend, which is a not a knock against it. And it just doesn't have a cohesive plan in and of itself that plays well with the other colors the way the the blue and the white and the red do. No, it's got a plan. It's called Tithing Blade. I don't think that is. I mean, I love the card dearly, but <laughs> so you got a shocked face from the shocked and axe. appalled. I, I do love I do love a Tithing Blade. I, I am lower on it than I was. I, I do like it quite a bit. I just don't think it's going to be a key player in the format. I think the blue and the white decks that flood the battlefield with stuff is so good against tithing blade that like i think it's impossible for it to be a major player with how much the format is incentivizing you to dump cardboard on the battlefield as much and as often as possible i buy it i buy it yeah i I haven't thought about the colors like this yet so i don't know and i was seeing the scuttle in our discord as well about black sort of feeling a little at sea or a little at odds with itself or like you know because I, I like a lot of what Black has. Like, I like Tithing Blade. I like Deadweight. You know, I, I or like... Or Skullcap Snail is a good card. But, like, what's the plan after that? Like, you're jumping right. through some hoops to descend with your Skullcap Snail? Like, not yeah. great. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can tap it for the Black-White tap stuff. I mean, I like it there. But that's more due to White having a great mechanic in the tap two things to get a bonus than it is any color can provide that fodder for White. And honestly, White does it best itself, you know? So there's just not a lot of uniqueness that Black provides other than premium removal, which I don't think is where you want to be. And without not to, you know, get to pioneer Racto sacrifice on everybody, but without a mayhem devil, without, we talked about this last week, without the sacrifice, like something that cares about stuff dying, when stuff dies X, even like a bastion of remembrance, when a creature dies, you drain one. Without those, the sacrifice decks are tough because being incentivized to invest mana to affect the board and then remove that stuff yourself, it's just a tough sell limited these days and in this set specifically yep i would agree so but i think those are all fairly close and i could see red shifting around maybe could see black shifting around maybe but I, right now i feel very good about blue and white being the top two with blue in the number one spot and then there are five greater than signs those all had one greater than sign a piece five greater than signs before we get to green I, green just offers next to nothing at common has Descend everywhere, which is a knock against it. And I, I don't think plays great with any of the colors, particularly except for blue or white. And again, I think that's largely due to blue and white being excellent and pulling green up rather than green doing a lot intrinsically for either of those other two colors. I, I, the best thing I can say about it is that it does have some good uncommons. Okay, so can you get a little bit deeper into each of these colors and what they do in the format? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's start with blue. I think blue has incredible commons. Like the top three commons in blue have not shifted for me. They're excellent magic cards. And I think like them even more now that I'm viewing the format through this lens of dumping as much stuff on the battlefield as early as possible because i think Mm -hmm. blue does that quite well and it pairs with every other color blue white two great different versions of blue white there's a blue white craft deck i also think there's just a blue white tempo flyers deck ncaa absolutely smashed me with a deck like that in the early access event and really kind of opened my eyes to that strategy Uh, blue red great artifacts crafting theme could play aggressive i think primarily aggressive with the artifacts pirate stuff but there's also a later game crafty blue red deck as well Blue black is a fantastic control deck, I think, you know, pairing black's removal with blue's craft stuff. And then blue green explorer also, I do think, gets there. Like you're if you get the green explore cards, the blue green explore payoff. And again, you're just getting a lot of benefit from mechanics that work well together. I just think you're largely staying away from the green descend cards when you're playing blue green. So 
I think it's good at playing aggro. I think it's good at playing control. Flying has been very impressive to me in the format so far. There's a lot of cheap evasive flying at one and, and two mana. Flying isn't usually good and limited, right? Well, but it, I think it is better than average in this yeah, format. Yeah. And there are a lot of good cheap flyers. And that's mm-hmm. better because of how incentivized you are to get on board early. And there's ways to augment them built into the format. All of that is good. Yeah. What's going on with white? White, again, shocker for me that it has turned out as well, because I was pretty low on white after grading all the cards. But yeah. I just think it's got a lot of intrinsic synergy with itself. And again, this idea of dumping stuff on the battlefield, white is great at that. Tinker's totes, you know, putting an artifact and two other 1-1 one, one artifacts, like getting three rectangles for one for only three mana invested. Some of the in equipment. In a deck that, or in a color that can really use them right i mean it's coming off of last set we were like it's not only about the rectangles you make but it's about using them well and white really does put every piece of cardboard you make to use yes the mechanic of tap two untapped artifacts or creatures is just an awesome mechanic and it's not printed on many things but it's probably because it's (laughs) really good yeah and and like you only you only really need one payoff with that text printed on it to use all of the rectangles you've made right that's the cool thing about it it's not like you need one card that says that for every four rectangles you have, if you've got one card that says it, all four of those rectangles are being put to use, baby. Mm-hmm. And, and again, plays very well with the other top two colors right now for me, which is blue and red. Red, I think we said it earlier, plays super well with blue and white and has its own intrinsic aggressive synergy. I really like the red white. You know, I haven't piloted a good version of it myself yet, but I saw it on the other side of the battlefield. And just after playing with the cards that want you to tap to untapped permanence, I, I really like that mechanic and I really like that archetype as well. Like it just all plays well together. Aggro and having that stuff laying around to do stuff with is, is very good. When we get to black, like we talked about, it gets a lot of individually powerful spells. It supports blue very well in a control deck. Um, it does suffer from, as we said, Descend not quite getting there and doesn't really have its own like intrinsic plan beyond that yeah i I really was hoping that tithing blade was going to be black's plan i just i'm not a believer after i've seen how good the rectangles and the one one derps and the derps that are left around after they've explored your card that's like the one two that gives a plus one plus one counter in white i think that's Mm. excellent and that makes tithing blade pretty embarrassing there's just there's a lot that makes tithing blade not get there from what the format at least currently as I'm viewing it, incentivizes you to do. And that again, makes sense. Like done five drafts might be wrong, yeah. but I, I feel pretty good about where I'm at. Uh, and that takes us to green, which is whew, tough sell. There's some. So what's what's the problem with green? Just bad commons. Like there's bad just common. there's no good commons and there's no good game plans at common. Like one of green's best common. I do think it's best common is the two and a green three one that explores and has vigilance. But that's good. But it's not good enough to want to play green. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. That, and that's the only common I think you really care about. Like poison dart frog is fine, but like there's there's nothing particularly powerful and there's nothing particularly game planny about any of Green's comments. And they all have a lot of descend printed on them or like kind of loosely intertwined with descend, which I, I just don't think is a good strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had the capybara as my number one green common, the two mana one three. If you have descend four, it's a four three not interested in that don't really care about the the three mana punch spell don't care about you know we both like nurturing bristleback last week that was in our top three green commons. it's just not that good though like, it's just not that good playing with it yeah yeah as i was very hopeful that there was going to be like a reanimator thing played that in the early access it just didn't really 
pan out. But the weird thing is I do think some of Green's color pairs are fine. Like, I think dinosaurs is fine. Like, if you are the dinosaurs player, but that's not due to Green's commons. That's going to be a lot of uncommon, powerful dinosaur synergy. Green-white, I think, is fine. And I think, honestly, the green deck I'm most excited about is is white's cheap, evasive cards and then suiting them up with Green's plus one, plus one counters. I I do Mm. like that deck. But again, that's not Green commons. It's a lot of Green uncommons that go in that strategy and then green blue also explore is fine but you're you're going to get that common 3-1 explorer but then it's a lot of uncommons that are powering things up from green and the other colors i think doing a lot of heavy lifting in those decks and that's not like i i think then we may we could i could see us calibrating you know if this is the the true um color power rankings could see us calibrating the number of greater than signs ahead of where green is in fifth because that is when i think back Green often operates that way. Like, save for Green having some sort of like, you know, really overperforming like Jewel Thief, like a 3 3 Vigilance, Trample, Makes a Treasure, whatever, or uh, Seraph's Packmate, just the Fortell, 3 3 ETB draw card. Like, unless it gets this one of these wild pushed commons, think about Neon Dynasty. Think about these, there's just set lots of sets where Green is good, but it's not good at common. Like some of the commons end up being role players or whatever, but you're getting into the deck because it has really powerful uncommons. And we'll talk about some of those uh, in just a little bit. First, though, we got to get to those archetype power rankings, baby. We have our first ever S tier. Yeah, we've got four tiers here. Four tiers and we've got our first ever S tier deck here in the archetype power rankings. I think blue white is incredible. NCAA really made an impression on you. Not even that deck, but the crafting too. There's just so much to like about it. And just all bangers at common that all come with effects or two pieces of cardboard. Like it just everything is value and and lets you play a super low curve while not running out of gas in the late game. Play aggro, play control. I love blue white. Moving on to tier one, we've got red white and then the other blue color pairs, blue red, blue black, and blue green. Moving on to tier two, we've got red green dinos, green white plus one plus one counters and black white. And then moving into tier three, Green, black, red, black, and caves. You are stone-faced. You got nothing for me. No, no. Nailed it, Ben. I love the power rankings. God, I'm, this is awesome. How, Thank I, you. Cut, cutting edge content that we're giving people. <laughs> You'll love to see it. All right, one more ad break, and we're going to be back with a new segment of Lords of Limited. From billion-dollar ad budgets and arena naming rights to 10,000s of retail locations, big wireless providers spend big to appear like they're your only option. How do they afford it all? That big bill you get every month. Mint Mobile has a different idea. Instead of brick-and-mortar overhead, Mint Mobile is online only. What's that mean for you? A whole lot of savings because wireless plans from Mint Mobile start at just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data on the nation's largest 5G network for just $15 a month. At a time when everything, even the price of boosters is going up, it's incredible that Mint Mobile is keeping theirs at the low cost of $15 a month. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash LOL. That's mintmobile.com slash LOL. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash LOL. All right, Ben, this is my contribution <laughs> to the episode. Are you ready to play Sleeve It or Leave It? 
I absolutely am. It's like greater garbage, but better because we've played with the cards. Exactly. So I uh, figured, you know, we just want to talk about as many cards as, as possible in terms of like cards that have shifted in our evaluation. So we're going to put it under the lens of sleeve it, put it in your deck or leave it on the sideboard. So let's, let's start with white. First up, we've got clay fired bricks. This is the one in a white ETB search for a planes, put it into your hand, gain two life craft with artifact for five white, white flips into a uh, cosmium kiln that gives you two one one colorless gnomes and creatures you control get plus one plus one i mean i haven't played with this card yet but i would i would still say sleeve it oh absolutely would highly recommend sleeving this up and you got to play with this card it is i think playable in aggro decks still but i think best home is in in controlling decks that want to hit land drops and have the, the piece of cardboard lying around but everything we're talking about this is Card advantage plus artifact on the battlefield, which is good. And then the the crafting version gives you more artifacts on the battlefield, plus pumps your team, and white already is good at going wide. Clayfire Bricks is incredible. Real deal. Super sleeve it. Great. Next, we've got Dusk Rose Reliquary, which is white for the artifact. Has an additional cost. Cast a spell. Sack an artifact or creature. It's got ward two, and once it enters the battlefield, exile target artifact or creature and opponent controls until Dusk Rose Reliquary leaves the battlefield. This is, again, similar thing, leaves an artifact laying around after an effect for you to tap for stuff, but also exiles your opponent's stuff so it doesn't contribute to their descend count, doesn't let them do any reanimate shenanigans, doesn't let them descend. So it's just everything you want in a removal spell, cheap, efficient, and you're going to, if you build your deck right, again, have artifacts or creatures to sacrifice. And also takes a thing away for them to be able to craft with, right? That thing off the battlefield to craft or that thing going to the graveyard from the craft. And the thing that I, I, I finally wrapped my head around this afternoon about this card, you know, I was because I had this, I was splashing white in my sealed deck and I ended up not running this because I was like, oh, I don't have like, I don't really have sacrifice fodder for this. Like I'm not making creature tokens. I'm not really leaving a lot of stuff around. And I was thinking that I would never want to sacrifice a craft artifact to this. But I think you really can. I think that's like one of the boons. It's This is another thing of like craft begets craft. And this can, once you have whatever, a handful of craft artifacts, this slots in there too. Because again, you're never flipping all of those artifacts. So you just get to sack one. Now that's in the bin waiting around to be crafted with later on. Yeah, I thought this was like about bone splinters level of good because that's the obvious comparison. Right. This is much better in the context of the format than bone splinters usually is. Like this is yeah. a great removal spell, assuming you can pay the cost. Sleeve it. Another, dare I say, another sleever, Ruin Lurker Bat, single white for a 1-1 flying lifelink at the beginning of your end step if you descended this turn, scry one. I mean, you just play this on one you play the the two mana one two in white on two that puts a counter on something and you win you just win you don't just win but you're you off just to a, win you're off to a very good start I, I mean this card is very difficult to be bad but there's so many ways to make it even better than it is just without it itself is an intrinsically good card but there's tons of good ways to augment it Highly recommend sleeping Rune Lurker Bat. Again, it's one of those one drops that just gets the game going early. Put your opponent on the back foot. You get stuff on the battlefield. Just does it all. Obviously not as good as this, but the the white common, the single white 1-1 one, one flying vigilance when it dies, a creature explores. Huge mover up. I mean, it, it is, we even, we talked about it. Like we, we saw it wasn't going to be there. We saw there was an X1 hate. It has still taken me a little bit to recalibrate from the world of rat out and flick a coin, you know, like to be like, oh, yeah, these these little one ones are tough to deal with. 
Yeah, love that card. It's a huge mover up for me. And lastly, we've got Adaptive Gem Guard here. This is the card I mentioned earlier. Three white for three, three. Tap two untapped artifact or creatures you control to put a plus one plus one counter on this. Activate only as a sorcery. Are we sleeving it or are we leaving it? Um, jury's out for me. If I, you know, the game is leave it or leave it. I'm still going to say leave it. I, I think... I think this is probably still like, again, you'll play it in your decks, but it's four mana. This is a tough ask for me in draft, but I, I respect it being on this list in terms of shouting out as an overperformer. It was great in sealed. The one thing that's going to keep me from saying sleeve it is Ultec Cloud Guard is incredible. The three and a white three, two flyer yeah. that brings a one, one along with it. And these occupy the same slot in the yep. same color. Now, maybe Ultec Cloud Guard is going to be in demand enough that it'll be tough to get and you'll still have room for some adaptive gem guards. But you should definitely be gunning for Ultec Cloud Guard in that slot. So for now, I'm going to say leave it. But I did enjoy playing with adaptive gem guard in those sleeves at the pre-release this weekend. Moving on to blue, our first card is Spyglass Siren. What's there to talk about? Single blue one, one flyer when it enters the battlefield to create a map token. I mean, I can't sleeve this fast enough. Is this was this just like you thought this was going to be good and it was super even better good? Yeah. yeah, I thought it was going to be great and it was even better than I thought. Yeah, I buy it. But of, yeah, so of course, sleeve it. Next, we've got Shipwreck Sentry, one and a blue for three, three with Defender. As long as an artifact entered the battlefield under your control this turn, Shipwreck Sentry can attack as though it didn't have a Defender. Sleeve it or leave it, Ethan. Well, this is interesting because I, I was only siding this in like against aggro decks today as just basically moat piranhas. Oh, this is the aggro card. <laughs> So that's what I was going to ask you, because uh, in Strixhaven, there was a similar like two mana, three, three, and had Magecraft that it, so it could attack if you Magecraft. And I really liked that card building a sort of like get on board early Prismari deck and then attacking with these three threes, especially because you could get them late. It, do we have this again in Shipwreck Century? I think so. I was very impressed with I was super low on this card and was very impressed with my opponents that were playing with it. Enough so that I am intrigued to play with it. And I think this is a big player in blue, red, pirate artifact aggro. I'm saying sleeve it in blue, red artifacts. I'm excited. I'll, I'll join you with, with sleeve it. Oh, it hurts me to talk about this card. <laughs> Waterlogged Hulk is next. Single blue artifact. Tap, mill a card. Craft with island for three and a blue. Flips into a 4-4 four, four vigilant crew one vehicle. Descend eight. Can't be blocked as long as there are eight or more permanent cards in your graveyard. Play this in the main of my sealed deck today. Uh, sided it out every match and <laughs> I am really down on this card because of that sort of redundancy or the amount of craft and maybe this was because of sealed like I just had you know I play, was playing as many craft cards as I could and so I had a choke point of like when can I pay the four mana to do this but the craft card similar to why you're not high on the white one that scries too the ones that aren't a card up front are tough cells, I think. And then when this flips, it doesn't really even affect the board. It needs a creature to be able to affect the board. Yeah, and this is also descending in the power rankings because descend is descending, right? Like you're you're too jacked up on this. Like a four four. If this had didn't have the descend eight text, it wouldn't matter. Like a four four vigilant crew one. That's good. Well, sure, but the 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 selling point on waterlogged Hulk being a good card was that this turns on descend for you and that we would want cards yes, to synergize with descend. Yeah, yeah. And like with that not being a desirable goal, this card is no longer desirable as a result to me. That's the issue with it. And I'm saying leave it. Yeah, I, I am also saying leave it pains me, especially after I was feeling so good about my assessment of it. All right, what's next? We got hurl into history, baby. Three blue, blue instant counter target artifact or creature spell. Discover X where X is that spells mana value. I have zero experience with this card. 
But after seeing the context of the format a little bit, I, I still like my take that this card is good. I'm saying sleeve it. I'm still on leave it. I have had this sit in my hand because I didn't realize that it just couldn't counter everything. I also did not realize that until just now. <laughs> like you can't you can't counter a braid. Like you can't just be like, oh, you want to kill my thing? You can't. You can't like that. So that's been really awkward. Like late in the game, you're like, oh, I'm going to hold this up. And your opponent fires off a removal spell. You're like, what have I done with my life? I- I'm going to leave it on Hurl into History. That's fair. I'm not confident on my sleeve. It. I have, like I said, zero experience and the jury is still out for me on that one. But that's not part of the game. <laughs> There's a couple <laughs> cards that I got to play with today that I'm curious your thoughts on. One is Didact Echo. It's four and a blue for a three, two spirit cleric. When he ETBs, you draw a card and then descend for it has flying. Sleeve it or leave it on the Echo. Leave it for me. I think there's two for ones that cost way less than five mana. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I agree. I think I'm on leave it. The other one I wanted to chat about is self-reflection. The four blue blue sorcery create a token that's a copy of target creature you control with flashback three and a blue. I think I think I'm on leave it at this point for this card. This is too hard. Like this card is too bad when you draw it. And I really don't want to put cards in my deck. That I don't want to draw, you know? <laughs> buried treasure yeah yeah, buried treasure like i can't wait to not draw this card like six mana to copy something is so bad like yeah it's great if you happen to have some incidental mill and this ends up in your yard sure but again there are just so many two for ones in the format that you don't have to worry about that for a card like this i agree leave it all right moving on to black we've got greedy freebooter here black for a one one when this dies scry one and create a treasure token for those of you that are not on the youtube ethan is doing the rocky fist pump on the steps i mean you you wrote like later on there was a card you're like ah point for you this is the point for me you were telling me that this card was garbage i'm hoping to never play this so what changed? This is a mover up for me. I saw it and I, it just goes back to, I think the format starts, you want to get on board. It starts on turn like, one. This yeah. is, yeah, format starts on turn one. This gets you on board on turn one. And when it dies, you still have a rectangle left around. Afterward, that's almost as useful as the first half of this card in many instances. And the scry one matter, like it just all, it's worth a card. It was You were right. Sleeve it. So Put those some of, free yeah, I, feel like, I feel like you're just saying my argument back to me a week later. I love it. Simmer down over there. <laughs> Sorry, I got to take my, <laughs> my my W's when I can. Next up is Soul Coil Viper. Soon a black for a 2-3. You can pay black, tap it, sacrifice it, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a finality counter on it. You had a chance to play with a number of these in an early access YouTube video. What are, what are your thoughts? Sleeve it or leave it? leave it i thought that the the green black reanimating thing was going to be good with the land cyclers i did the soul coil viper into reanimate the green land cycler for a, a five five and a three three and it just doesn't quite get there it's not good enough that's not game over and the times that doesn't happen the green land cycler is pretty awkward i'm off maybe the niche reanimator deck being a thing i don't think i will be taking soul coil vipers highly not that it's unplayable or anything but i think in general in the draft should not be something you are trying to sleeve up i think it should be a a leave it in the draft and if you end up with it maybe you'll run it but not in a reanimator package i I think it just is a great way to highlight some of the things we were talking about earlier of like craft is just good explore is just good as soon as you get to stuff like even descend descend four descend eight reanimator 
any of the things that are like, you got to do some work. I'd be like, well, hold on here. Cause I, I can do things other- that don't take work. Right. I'm lazy. I want to not do work when I don't have yes. to do work. I think there's enough value and good stuff in the format. That's just like, just, just cast me. I'll, I'll take care of the rest. But like when you're like having to jump through these hoops of land cycle, this big fatty boom, boom, and then soul coil Viper and Void Viper doesn't die. And then I reanimate. It's like, yeah, you just, you just don't need to work that hard in this format. Similarly, I think Poster Child for a card you don't want to play in this format, Echo of Dusk, one in a black for a 2-2 descend four. Uh, it gets plus one plus one in lifelink. Huge leave it. It just does nothing early in the game. It doesn't two for one. Like, yeah, eventually it's going to die and go to the graveyard to help you get to descend four. But if it doesn't, like, it's just woefully embarrassing. Yeah. And basically, any anything that says descend that is not an extremely powerful descend effect, I am just completely uninterested in. I'm going to get... A little pulse check here on this next card. This is Screaming Phantom. Two and a black for a 2-2 flyer. When it attacks, mill a card. I was assuming going to this format that this card wouldn't matter. Like it's Windrake with very, very minor upside. I was assuming this was going to be filler, maybe a role player in some decks. It's impressed me and it's felt like a threat worth dealing with. Have you played with or against this card? I have played against it. I, the thing I, the only home I see for it is a red, black, aggressive descend, descend deck. But the uh-huh. tension with the card is descend primarily wants you to get to the late game and attacking your opponent is not a great way to get to the late game. But not red, black, because red, black doesn't care right. about descend. That's why, that's why it yeah, cares right. about descending. descending. That's where I think this card's home is. And I could see it being playable there. I'm still not super jazzed about it or anything. Yeah, I think I'm still on leave it. But like, I just wanted a chance to talk about like, it, it has impressed me. I felt like... I got to do it. And every time they mill, I'm like, oh, it's, oh that was kind of good for you or whatever. So just a little pulse check there. All right. Last one in black. We've got Grasping Shadows, three and a black for an enchantment. Whenever a creature you control attacks alone, it gains death, touch, and lifelink. Till end of turn, then you get a dread counter on Grasping Shadows. If there are three or more dread counters on it, transform it. Taps for a black. It's a cave. And you can play black, tap it, remove a dread counter from Shadows layer. You draw a card and lose a life. Please don't tell me you want to leave it. Don't you don't say it ain't so bad. <laughs> I might be on leave it for this card. Uh, sometimes I, I am less high on it than I was. I don't think you're always playing Grasping Shadows. I think that's true. I think you're not always playing Grasping Shadows. When, and when when would you think you're not playing it? In the decks that are what I think are good in the format, which are low to the ground, flood the board with a bunch of small dudes. Like yes. just, you don't need to mess with this card card in those decks like the decks where you want this are the clunkier decks and i don't think you want to be playing a clunky deck which is kind of why i'm on leave it for the card like i do think it is powerful and i think the effect is powerful i just don't think the style of deck that it wants to go in is the style of deck you want to be drafting in the format if that makes sense i it makes sense but it hurts to hear do you have you played with or against the card both i love it but I, but I, but I agree with you that it doesn't go in every deck, right? Like I think there are, you doesn't want to go in these sort of like go wide aggressive decks, which I'm not sure that like I don't even know how well black plays in that space to begin with, right? But the the flip side is that if it is good in like later game decks or grindier decks or whatever, is that much like waterlog talk, like it not affecting the board itself for four mana is kind of tough in those decks because sometimes you're behind and you're like, I just need a thing on the board, but this requires me to have a thing on the board already and I don't have that, you know? So I could see it being leave it. I'm just not ready to call it yet. That's fair. 
All right, takes us on to red. What's up there? We've got Dreadmaw's Ire. This is red for the instant. Until end of turn, target attacking creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains trample. And whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, destroy target artifact that player controls. This card is a beating. I haven't even seen it cast yet, and I know this card is an absolute beating in the format. (laughs) So we're just still, we're assessing this card on Crash Course Merits right now. We are, but it is a firm sleeve it for me after seeing the context of the format. It is not Crash Course Merits. I've seen the format is a big deal, and I think... Mm -hmm. I feel quite confident this is going to be excellent. This is not Crash Course Merits. This is, I've seen it and I believe it. This is Idol of the Deep King. Two in red for an artifact with flash. When it enters the battlefield, it deals two damage to any target. and has craft with artifact for two in a red. Flips into Sovereign's Makahuil. When it enters the battlefield, you attach it to target creature you control. An equipped creature gets plus two plus oh as an equip cost of two. I mean, I thought the paying three mana to deal two would be too much. But when it leaves behind a nice rectangle and has flash, it's just right, baby. Yeah, it's not quite as good as a 1-1 like ETB deal to, but it's way closer to that than you would think. Oh, yeah. If it's just like a three mana 1-1 flash deal to yeah, or something. Like deal two. Yeah, it's it's closer to that than you would think. When you stick Idol of the Deep King, you feel like a champ. Like it's, yeah. it's very strong, I think, if it does the thing. Not that you're like hoping to run three copies of this, but my initial impression of this card was hope to never play. And now I'm like, just fine to sleeve it up. Yeah, so I'd, I'd say I'd say definitely sleeve that. Next up is uh, the LSV Invitational. This is all the scuttle on Twitter from him is that Sunshot Militia is a sleever. One on a red for a 1-3. Tap two untapped artifacts and or creatures you control. Deals one damage to each opponent. Activate only as a sorcery. I, I believe it. Yeah, I think sleeve it for sure. But I don't think it's white like the be all end all for the red white Mm -hmm. deck i think this is a two drop you will play much like you'll play the one in a white two two artifact you know when it becomes tap scry one you're going to play the red one that rummages and all all of those will work together to get your curve low and get you on the battlefield yeah all right i gotta shout you out here moving on to green explorers cash you were right. One of the green for an artifact enters the battlefield with two plus plus one counters on it. Whenever a creature you control with a plus plus one counter on it dies, you put a plus plus one counter on the cash. You could tap to move a counter from cash onto target creature, activate only as a sorcery. I was saying like slow clunky Ozolith. I mean, it's basically just the Ozolith. <laughs> yeah, this card is excellent at growing your team. And I think doing it in a reliable fashion, especially if you're doing some exploring along the way. Except if you're me at the pre-release and you constantly forget to move the counters back onto your explorer's cache, <laughs> or at least the over on Miss Triggers was probably like 4.5, I think, <laughs> at the pre-release for me with this card. Well, and and again, I love this idea of, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of thinking about rectangle theory in another way, but like, if this was a two mana one one that had this ability, would be way worse. It'd be well, it'd be worse because you could kill it. But that's sort of like thinking about Idol of the Deep King. Thinking about this, like once this doesn't have counters on it, oh this yeah, still you can has still do stuff value. With it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's what like I I missed about this last week that I now get. Not only the fact that like there are enough counters and that Explorer is really good, etc., and like it's easy to get the counters to move back and forth from your creatures to this and back to your creatures. This card's really good. Sleeve it for sure. Next up, we've got Jade Seedstones, three and green for an artifact. When ETBs distribute three plus one plus one counters among one, two, or three target creatures you control, then you can craft with creature for five GG to make a seven, seven. And when ETBs, you gain life equal to the mana value of the exiled card used to craft it. Sleeve it or leave it, Ethan? A mega sleeve. Mega sleeve. Yeah. Because I think... 
I think craft with creature is like, you know, when we were sort of getting some flack for like, we're acting like craft is free. Craft with creature is literally free. I mean, creatures yeah. are going to be in your graveyard, like by, by seven mana. Sure. Um, I, th- I think this is really good. Yes. It's like a, a two for one. It's like a very good card on the front side. That's a little high risk, but then mitigates the high risk completely by assuming you make the game go a little longer. You get a, a premium seven, seven that's going to catch you up. We've now talked about this card twists and turns three weeks running, but I have to, you know, you were high on it. I played it again, or I played it for the first time during early access, and man, was it incredible. It's a single green enchantment. If a creature you control would explore, instead you scry one. Then that creature explores. When twists and turns, enters the battlefield, target creature you control explores. When a land enters the battlefield under your control, if you control seven or more lands, you transform it into mycoid maze, taps for green mana, and you can pay three and a green tap. Look at the top four cards of your library may reveal a creature card from among them like this when this flips you just win it's like in, insane to impulse for a creature every turn <laughs> it's quite strong yeah i'm speaking of yeah. there's literally so many ways to not run out of gas in the format and this one happens to cost one mana like you, yeah. you don't need to put six and seven mana cards in your deck yeah huge sleeve it on twists and turns next we've got kawadi scavenger two and a green for three two descend four in the center of the battlefield if there are four more permanent cards in your graveyard return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand this is the poster child of leave it like this looks like it should be a find a good card in a, a deck that is trying to descend mm-hmm. and it just doesn't get there it's not yeah. good enough for the work you have to put into trying to descend and putting the work into trying to descend makes your deck worse. Like it just is the poster child of leave it in the format. This makes me think of another card in the format that I want to get your uh, opinion on. Walk with the Ancestors. This is four and a green sorcery. Return up to one target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. Discover four. What do you think about, like, is this five mana Gravedigger? Can you think about it that way? No, I cannot. Discover four isn't like, you know, a two mana two two on average or whatever. Am I being baited here? This card's horrible. No, so this card is bad. This is a leave it card. But I was trying to like piece this together. Like is Discover Four, like Discover Four is is if we think about it as a two drop most of the time, a two or a three drop most of the time, then then that tacked on to return up to a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand, which is grave the gravedigger effect. Better yeah, then, because it, sure. it gets permanence. Like I'm not saying that this is a good card, but is that a way to frame this card, do you think? Maybe, but magic's not about that so much anymore. We just saw yeah. Neva in the former format prior to this, like be a pretty big underperformer. I with agree. That similar effect and only costing four mana. This one costs three, but the specifically the fact that you have to do work for this one, even if you got to do the thing, I mean it would be good always, but you don't always get to do the thing, but there's also just the awkward tension of sometimes this is your turn three play and you really don't want You're this to be your... I'm talking about... I'm back to talking about Quaddy yeah, Scavenger. Okay, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Even if Quaddy Scavenger always lets you rebuy something, I don't know that it would be that much better, you know, in the context yeah. of the format, just because when you have to run it out as a three mana three two, it's so embarrassingly bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you on leave it for sure. Ben, my favorite thing about any early format life is when you I feel like we need now we have sleeve it or leave it. We need the Ben Warney, you're under arrest. <laughs> Do you know how fast you were going? <laughs> award here this next card is completely illegal speaking (laughs) of which is my favorite word to use in preview season or when i first see the cards in the battlefield caparacti sunborn it's just 
woefully unfair. It's two red white for a four four human soldier legendary uncommon. Whenever it attacks, you may tap two untapped artifacts or creatures you control. If you do, discover three. So at, at best, your opponent is hoping to trade with this while you put another permanent onto the battlefield for four mana. Sometimes you discover into a braid or like a combat trick that forces it through. And then you like if you <laughs> ever get to attack a second time with this, the game is completely over and usually the advantage you got from the first attack is enough to end the game it could be anything it could even be a boat yeah it could even be a braid uh yeah of course big big sleeve it on sunborn you gotta talk to me about swashbuckler's whip say it ain't so one mana equipment equipped creature has reach it has two tap tap target artifact or creature and eight tap discover 10 with an equip cost of one are you sleeving this I think I was leaving this. This card, I don't know about draft. This was excellent in sealed. Truly excellent in sealed. Is this the Cobbled Wings Lords of Limited sealed tech for this format? Uh, yeah, I feel quite confident that this card is excellent in sealed, mostly because you're interested in the tap down threats without necessarily sending them to the graveyard or whatever. Oh, okay. You you often have mana to put this around, but late in the game also, like this has the function of you being able to move it around. So like you can on their turn tap something down. On your turn you've got like if, assuming you're playing the format the way I am with the, trying to put stuff, pieces of cardboard, rectangles onto the battlefield, you put this on a 1/1 tap something down, move it, tap something down. Like it's pretty easy to have a turn cycle where you tap something down on end step and then tap two more things down to Mm. just alpha for lethal. Like that play pattern with it is very strong and sealed. I don't know how much it's going to get there in draft, but really, really a believer in this card in sealed. Okay, I buy it. I buy that. Leave it in sealed and I'm curious enough to test it in draft. Okay, yeah, I'd I'd leave it in sealed for sure. Lastly here, we've got Creening Minecart. Huge point for you. This is three mana for three, three. And whenever it attacks, create a treasure token. It's got a crew cost of one huge sleeve it from me yeah yeah i love this card is there anything like specific about this card that jumped out to you or you just like seeing it in play you were like oh duh this works mostly that but also it plays so well with the tap two untapped artifacts yeah right like because when you're not crewing it like you feel fine tapping it to do whatever and then the turn it attacks it leaves behind an artifact for you to tap for all that other stuff it just is very smooth yeah all right, so it's going to round up Sleeve It or Leave It for this format. Looking forward to that in the next format. And we're going to, before we go here, get to some re-ranking of the top commons. A very loose re-ranking because I think we're going to save our our big, like, here's the thing we think are one, two, three in order for next week. But just want to shout out some cards that are in the running or cards that are, I think, definitely locked up the number one slot or something for right now. So white for me, Ultech Cloud Guard, firmly in the number one spot. Three and a white for three, two brings a one, one along with it. That card is excellent. Other cards that have really impressed, we've shouted out Tinker's Toad a couple times. That makes the the one one gnome tokens. Just three artifacts for the price of one is very strong. Miner's Guidewing, we've talked about the one mana one one flying vigilance has been excellent. Iron Paw Aspirant, one and a white for the one two that puts a plus and plus one counter on something has been great. Like all of those cards just play well together. What have you thought about Petrify? It's been either great or terrible for me. Yeah, that's been my feeling. I have in both of my sealed runs, I've started it and sided it out like because again I mean, people are talking about well we shouldn't be down on it with craft because it's the same as killing the thing but it's just the optionality of it and then the fact that fanatical offering exists that's the one in a black sack a thing draw two cards make a map token mischievous pup talk about a card i'll sleeve all day every day two and a white three one flash when it comes into play you can return a permanent card from the battlefield to your hand like all of that stuff just makes Petrify 
bad. Like the only time I sided in a second copy was my last round against like red, green, dumb stuff. But most colors have good ways to deal with petrify. Well, the and the other thing, not to keep shouting out this flooding the board stuff that you want to be trying to do, but it makes removal, the premium removal that people have picked high, so embarrassingly bad. Like mm-hmm. if you're just getting on board with all these cheap evasive threats and like putting permanents everywhere. are still doing work, but you know, not much beyond that. Right. So I think if I had to choose today for white, I'd make Miner's Guidewing, the 1-1 one, one Flyer, and Aspirant, the thing that puts a plus one, plus one counter, the other two. But I really like Tinker's Tote a lot too. Tough, tough to choose in white. Blue's still a solid. Waterwind Scout, River Herald Scout, Inverted Iceberg. Those three were the ones from last week that were in our top commons. I feel pretty confident that the 2-2 two, two Flyer that makes a map token is the best blue common. Um, inverted iceberg shifted down a little bit for me because I think it's only really premium in a controlling strategy. I think you're not, but not it very is happy. premium there. Yes, absolutely, completely yeah. for sure. Uh, moving on to black, same cards we had last week. Unclear on the order still. Tithing blade, dead weight, skull cap, snail, join the dead, and again, all good cards, but just not not game plans there. That's the, that's the thing I don't love about black right now. And maybe that'll just become more apparent as we get more of a chance to play with the cards. How best to utilize them but right now i think that's just in a blue black control shell with the cards as printed killing stuff dead moving on to red i think a braid still clear number one and other cards up up in the air for me i really like the the cheap cards in sunshot militia and volatile wandergriff the two drops um the one three that taps and then the two two that when it becomes tapped you get a rummage and then plundering pirate i still think truly excellent also two and a red for the three two that makes treasure yeah i really i think i had plundering pirate in a red black deck in early access i was really happy with that there yeah and green is just largely bad other than river herald guide and that that's the three one that explores and has vigilance and that's just not good enough to be a reason to draft green at common i think green is only only uncommon draft worthy what are we gonna do for the next couple months since we've solved the format i mean we got to put all this theory crafting into action i've only yeah done five drafts i haven't played a lot of these strategies i've seen on the other side of the battlefield that i think are pretty good i'm i'm excited to draft this format and we got a lot of stuff to look forward to new format on, starts on tuesday a week from that we got the lowell versus lr showdown number 16 possibility to tie it up and then the weekend after Thanksgiving, so just the you know in less than two weeks, arena open time, time for two K. Ooh, you love it! And then if the format's not great, Collins is coming to arena. That's right. But I don't. I mean, I don't know. I lo- you know someone was like uh, commented on YouTube like, when was the last time you guys weren't excited about a set? And I was like, I think the first time we're not excited about a set is when we probably time to wrap up the podcast. Yes. Probably pull the plug because like <laughs> that's why this is fun. It's like we're like it's a game. We like the game. We get excited about it. So, of course, we're excited about new sets. So, like, yes, I'm excited about this set. But I also think, like, it has the makings for what I believe is going to be a really good push-pull of aggro and control. I think the tools are definitely there for aggro, and I think the tools are definitely there for late-game decks, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I would believe it. I would sleeve it. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to Cool Stuff Inc. for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases, please use checkout code LOL when you do to let them know we sent you over there. And more importantly, to get 5% off of anything you purchase, you can find all of our content over on our website, lordsoflimited.com. Links to 
everything Lords Limited related. We got our tier list. We got our episode backlogs. We've got merch over at Public. We've got link to our Patreon page, links to our YouTube channel, our Twitch streams, all that stuff at lordsoflimited.com. Tier list is up to date, baby, after those early access drafts, ready for you to hop in your first draft on Tuesday. So check it out. That's my current views on the format on the tier list. If you've got any feedback about the show, any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.